Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the big money question of the week. Now what? Where do we go from here after the big tech blowout? Another solid month for the markets. We debate that with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha is the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth. Brenda Vingello, the CIO of Sandhill Global Advisors. Steve Weiss, Pete Najarian, good to see everybody. Let's go to the wall. Take a look at stocks. They are closing out their best month since November. We're mostly red today. The 10-year note yield, there you see, 162. Lots of questions about where we are now, where we're going to go from here after the busiest week of earnings season. Steve Weiss, my headline of the week is this. Big tech delivers. Big tech stocks, though, do not. The Nasdaq's flat this week. You take a look at the blowout reports. Everybody had one. Facebook's up 6%. I'll give you that, okay? Amazon, blowout, up 1%. Apple, blowout, down a half percent. Microsoft, blowout, down 4%. Alphabet, blowout, up 2.5%. What's that say? What does that tell us about where we are? Well, I think what it tells us is that we robbed from the future. In other words, the market traded up in advance of the earnings. It was no secret that the economy was going to do extremely well. Companies were going to do extremely well in reporting. So you got a lot of that before they reported. And then it was somewhat anticlimactic. Now, that's not unusual to sell off on earnings. So I'm not that concerned about it. To me, it's actually somewhat emboldening because I think you see this growth continue. The guidance also is pretty good. If you take a look at that, and very few companies said, hey, you know what, we don't have the visibility. We're gonna pull back, you're on your own for the next quarter. No, most every company and everyone in my portfolio said, here's what we're gonna do next quarter. Some gave guidance for the year, which has been increasingly unusual. So I think we're fine from that standpoint. My issue, my concern's not there. My concerns are more with the economy overall, how strong it is, and rates. So right now, we're seeing inflation pick up. We still got a Fed that's saying, hey, steady as she goes right now. But we're only firing on a couple of cylinders. We've got China that's doing well. We've got the U.S. doing well. But we've got Europe that's still in a recession. I don't even want to talk about emerging markets like India. So what happens when we have that synchronized global economy as vaccines roll out. You'll see a real acceleration in inflation, and I think the Fed's going to have to go earlier. At least they're going to have to start, stop their massive purchases every month. And that could be a flashpoint for the market. That'll be the ultimate buying opportunity, in my view, because despite the inflation numbers, as you pointed out, 10-year is lower today in the yield. So I think we're okay for now, but it's a race to when you can get that performance in before, you know, the cards are off the table. Now, I, I, I guess, Pete, there's some who are thinking, OK, maybe this is as good as it's going to get for earnings. And maybe this is as good as it's going to get for growth. GDP off the charts. The economic data today was off the charts. Maybe this is as good as it's going to get for liquidity. 
Kaplan, he's not a voting member, the Dallas Fed president, but he's starting to talk today about, hey, we need to talk, start talking about taper. What do you make of that? Is, is that at play in any way as to why the market reacted the way it did this week to absolutely blow out numbers from arguably the five most important companies within the market? Yeah, you know, you know, that's an interesting concept, uh, Scott, but I, I don't know necessarily. That, I think that's part of the play. I think the other part of the play is that we've had this great rotation that's been going on now for quite a while, at least the last couple of months, while we had the FANG stocks that everybody has been focused on so much over the last few months relatively flat. And we've been talking about that for a while now. We've been talking about the lack of performance and when are they going to kick back in. They still haven't kicked back in, of course, but in the meantime, we've had just – just take a look at the year-to-date numbers from the industrials, from energy, from financials. You go down the entire list, materials, and there has been this great rotation. And we've had this bit of a pause outside of one or two of those big tech names that it made pretty substantial moves year-to-date. But most of those moves actually came in the second half of 2020. So I, I think it's a, it's a very healthy right now, Scott. The only thing that, that really does truly stand out more than anything throughout earnings season for me has been Everybody is referring to the costs going forward, what's going to happen, the, the lack of supply, those kind of things I think could be very, very critical going forward. And that's going to be something that's going to really play a big part, I think, going forward. We didn't have to deal with as much of that now, but I think over the next couple of quarters, it's going to be really interesting to see what the shortages do look like. Will that continue to be part of the narrative? Right. And if it's not then that's fantastic. The well, markets have plenty of room. But if it is, we got a problem. Well, I don't know. I mean, you, you clearly don't think we have that much of a problem because today you bought Apple calls more, you bought face, uh, Microsoft calls more, and you bought Facebook calls more. So maybe you think this is yeah. just a pause that refreshes and that these stocks start moving again. I do. That's exactly how I feel. But I'm talking about quarters out, though, Scott. I'm talking about going out three, six, nine months and looking out from that perspective and seeing that kind of issue going forward with some of the supply constraints and the costs and everything else. I mean, every single earnings we've heard practically in almost every sector, we hear the concerns about prices going up and input costs and all of that. And I think at some point, that will be an issue. It hasn't become an issue yet, and maybe we'll be able to help out on the supply chain. We'll see. I know the president's very committed to that, that, that side of things, which is great. But I think the problem will be, if that's going to be the case, we do have a problem. I think in the near term, and I'm talking about one month, two months, three months out, I think we're still okay. And I think we can see what, what should have been the reaction and wasn't Apple, Microsoft, some of these various names, Facebook. I think that's Amazon. why I feel very comfortable, Amazon. And I feel very comfortable, Scott, about owning some calls on top of the stocks that I own rather than the usual uh, program that I've got where I'm selling options against it. Volatilities come in. And with that, it gives me an opportunity to maybe take a nice ride to the upside if Microsoft can get anywhere close to where they just were the day of earnings when they hit all-time highs. All right, Shan. So Amazon's a, a good kind of place to zero in on. I mean, okay, so the stock hit a new 52-week high today. I'm looking at it right now. It's up 1% on a absolute blowout number. Now, the stock year-to-date running into the number, it's not like it was a runaway, you know, juggernaut. It was up 6.5% into the number. It absolutely blows out the number, and the stock gets a little bit of a lift from there. 
So what are we to make of that? You And the good thing is on the show today, you own Amazon. I mean, almost everybody on today owns almost everything that we're talking about in terms of the FANG um, perspective. Well, if we go back six months ago or so, you know, when this period of underperformance for the FANG stocks was really starting to hit its stride, I think what we were all concerned about or what the market was concerned about was this potential rotation and this binary move out of big tech and into other sectors. And I would say we've actually seen that binary move in that we've seen the relative underperformance of these names and we've seen a movement in breadth or an expansion in breadth across the rest of the market. And that goes to the fact that investor interest is looking at sectors outside of big tech. That being said, you know, the challenge for big tech right now is that they were so strong during the pandemic um, and the year over year comps are continuing to be really strong. And that's become somewhat expected because they were insulated from many of the um, challenges that other companies in other sectors and industries were facing last year. There has been a continuation in enterprise spend. There has been clearly a need that that has gone unmet previously for companies to invest in technology in, uh, in order to facilitate what we're doing right now. But I think that what is most important is if you think about over the next two, three, four years, going back to Pete's comments about inflation, you know, wh- where, where is that inflation going to manifest itself? What companies are going to be able to have those different levers for operating costs, um, OPEX, CAPEX, to be able to pull those levers in order to make sure that they're maintaining their margins? And I'm going to put my bet on some of these big tech companies. They know where to spend money that's going to generate shareholder value. They know how to potentially pivot their fairly broad portfolios in order to maximize their gains. And so for me, I look at this as yet another way that these big tech companies are well situated to take advantage of some of these inflationary forces and potentially mitigate bottom line impacts from that. So could we see a continued sort of pause or consolidation? We were looking for that. We felt like Main Street was ahead of Wall Street this year um, because Wall Street was ahead of Main Street last year. And so I'm not concerned about it. I actually think this is a great entry point over the course of the next couple of months for those people who may still be somewhat on the sidelines in equities. Okay. All right. Um, Brenda, you know, you own all of the stocks, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Alphabet. There is no waning optimism on Wall Street, and it's worth pointing that out today. No less than 22 target bumps from analysts on Wall Street for Amazon today, the highest being 4,600 from Cowan and J.P. Morgan. You've got three 4,500s from Wells and Deutsche and JMP and a number of other uh, lofty numbers within that, too. So, You know, the street is not backing away from the optimism in any way, shape or form going forward. Right. The street isn't. But I think what the market's been telling you is that, um, you know, it is anticipating that that at some point, you know, sequential earnings are going to slow. Sequential earnings growth is likely to slow for a lot of these large companies. But I think what we saw this quarter is that that certainly hasn't happened yet. And I think we were all expecting that it might. Just looking at a company like Apple, for example, you know, we had expected that some of the iPad and, and iPhone sales would likely slow sequentially, and that's certainly not what we saw. Um, clearly, people are not done buying there yet. And same thing for Amazon, where I think this is a trend that um, really uh, was solidly in place pre-COVID and really 
uh, e-commerce has picked up a lot of ground um, over the last year, and we think it's here to stay. I mean, like, we think in, in terms of Amazon, this is a trend that's here to stay. Uh, e-commerce still makes up a relatively small percentage of total retail sales. So we think there's plenty of room to go. And as it relates to Amazon, I think if you look at the profitability of the company, as AWS continues to grow, as advertising continues to grow, uh, those should continue to, to cause the company to become more and more profitable. So um, there are a lot of really solid stories here. I think for us, big picture, if we look at earnings coming into the first quarter for the S&P 500, we were looking for 24% earnings growth. If we take what's been reported thus far and what's expected from uh, the remainder of companies that haven't reported, we're looking at earnings growth of more like 46%. That's a huge percentage increase. I think it's what we needed. Um, it's really telling that earnings expectations could be low this year that are out there. And I think we need to see that. Um, it's it's a great sign that you know earnings are finally growing into where the, the stock market has already gone, mm -hmm. and there could be more of that to come in the in the remaining so, quarters of the year. You know, Steve Weiss, I need to correct myself too. The highest target right now on Amazon on the street is not forty six hundred, as I said. It's fifty five hundred. Fifty five hundred at Susquehanna, Steve Weiss. Two thousand dollars higher than where the stock is trading now. <laughs> Uh, are we getting out of our minds? I mean, $5,500 for these stocks? Well, clearly that analyst is looking for attention. And that's one of the old Wall Street tricks is that you have the highest or the lowest price target out there. So you get the phone calls that say, hey, why are you so much above everybody else? Look, to me, analyst price targets are directional. I think it's lunacy to have that. I hope they get there because I own it. But I'm not banking on it. But we're not. I'd like a nice march upward. Sure. But we're, what, what we're essentially saying is we're trying to get where the direction of the narrative is, if you will. Right. You take them collectively right. and you say, I've got 22 new price target bumps from Amazon today. So collectively, that says something about where the narrative is. And I venture to guess if I looked at what the most recent target bumps were for the other big stocks that I mentioned out of the tech sphere, they'd be all the same too. They, they, you'd have 20 bumps uh, right. across the board. So while maybe investor optimism is waning a touch, the market reaction would tell you as such, Wall Street is not on board with that. They're like on the bus and the bus is like full pedal to the metal. Yeah, I think part of the issue is while we know Amazon and the others have picked up incremental customers, it's difficult to see where this big untapped audience of stock buyers is coming in for Amazon or Microsoft or Apple. It's money that's on the sidelines that's more likely going to buy it. Because if you're in the market and you missed Amazon up to this point, I don't know if you're going in there today and buying it to wait for a pullback. So I do think the street is got to raise their price targets. How could you not when they blow out the numbers? So, but yes, it's a sell in the news. I'm not concerned about it. I don't think it's any, you know, prophecy on the market okay. overall. We've so, seen it before. So, Shannon, speaking of the market overall and price targets, Jonathan Golub over at Credit Suisse today raises his S&P target up to 4,600 from 4,300. I bring that up because you're going to, now that we're finished with April and you're going to move into May, you're going to hear a lot about sell in May. Are we going to, you know, witness that this year in the market? Golub is not the only bit of optimism. UBS today says markets can continue to advance further. How do we think about the markets more broadly? I, I would
wouldn't be surprised to see some consolidation. I, I think it's important when you're looking at price targets, you know, a lot of investors assume that, that, that they don't think about the path dependency on how we get there. And so, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, the potential for us to look at those earnings estimates, to Brenda's point earlier, you know, valuations right now in the S&P 500 are really priced to continue to see um, meaningful earnings growth in the back half of the year. And we have a couple of headwinds. I mean, you know, we've got uh, pending increases in corporate taxes, you know, to the to the points about input costs going up. We have some potential um, hindrances to earnings growth that we need to think about factoring in for the back half of the year. I think what we're going to see in May is we're going to see a sigh of relief. If you look at those first quarter numbers for all of the major equity indices, they were very strong. If you look at April's numbers, we're going to print another strong month. We're looking at over the course of the summer, you know, more of this tax legislation is going to be discussed. We're trying to figure out how much of that spending is going to transmit back into the economy. There's starting to be what I think are unfounded concerns about the froth in the residential real estate market. So there are going to be some things that weigh on that investor optimism. But if you go back to what are the alternatives that are available to you, you know, I'm looking at my stock portfolio and thinking if I need to generate long-term gains and, and even income for my, uh, for my clients over the course of the next year and a half or so before rates start to rise more meaningfully, I'm looking at that stock portfolio. And so a consolidation in May, what a great opportunity to make sure that your equity allocations are situated appropriately for the next couple of years. Pete, I mean, it was Kaplan today, by the way, to Shannon's point, who was talking about you know, heat in the in the housing market. Are we only as good as all of the liquidity that we have? Is is that really all we have, <laughs> Pete? I mean, if you if you really do take some of that out of the system, we can't stand on our own two feet. I thought we just did like a six print think- uh, on on GDP and Chicago PMI today yeah. was like the best in however many decades. And consumer confidence is just absolutely <laughs> off the charts. That's all because liquidity, yeah. please. I'm sort of with what you're implying there, Scott, which is uh, please, because I do think that there are a lot of different other driving forces that are the optimism that people have right now. And I can see it on a daily basis as I'm driving around through the Twin Cities. I see it all the time, Scott. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of different examples that you could point to, whether it's the housing market or whatever you want to say right now. And I don't think it's just liquidity. I do think that there is something more deeper underneath that. But let's be honest, a lot of what we have done so far is a big portion of, of when I say liquidity, uh, that really has given us where we are right now. Now, can we can we walk? Can we run? Can we jog? I think we can. I think we can on our own. But it's going to be a very, very interesting process. And let's not forget, uh, the vaccine acceleration has been huge. Mm -hmm. I think that is something that has become a huge factor for people because you can see the confidence. You can see the different states as they start to uh, open up more and more and more. And I'm in one of the more restricted states here in Minnesota. But you can see it, Scott, as it starts to open up, there is activity and people are spending money in a variety of different ways. So, I mean, just yesterday I was driving down the roads and I was looking at Home Depot and I was looking at some of their competitors, Lowe's and Menards and some of the locals as well. The parking lots are packed, so people are out and about. They are out, and, and they're, you know, the masks are still there, but with the vaccines and everything else, there's a lot more comfort, and people are spending money. Yeah. I mean, to, to some who watch the markets and the internals and the technicals very closely, the reaction to earnings, more so than the earnings themselves, are the real tell. And that's what Jonathan Krinsky of Baycrest, who we follow and, and like looking at his research, is talking about today. He said it's the reaction that matters. As always, 
The reaction to the news is always more important than the news itself, and thus for earnings season has not been producing great reactions. While there are pockets of the market that can work, we continue to think risk-reward is broadly unfavorable here. With that, I bring in Mike Santoli. He looks as deep into the markets as anybody does. What do you think about what Krinsky puts forth? And that is the biggest tell right now. And you can take your cue from big cap tech. Yeah, you have to be mindful of, uh, of the dog that doesn't bark. So when you don't get the commensurate response in the stocks, I, I do think you have to uh, look toward that and decide if the market is telling you something in terms of full valuations or something else, or just about what types of stocks are going to be the recipients of the incremental dollar. I would point out, this is the third straight quarter where we've had a pretty pronounced sell the news response across the board. You did not get rewarded for beating in the fourth quarter of last year or the third quarter. And that's in massive contrast with let's dial all the way back to last summer. Final week of July, huge blockbuster fang mega cap growth earnings. Everyone was just completely floored by exactly how profitable these companies were in the middle of a pandemic. And that created this huge acceleration to the upside and really a little bit of a blow off top in the Nasdaq. And what was the complaint up to that point and even after that? Too much of this market was all about valuation expansion of mega cap growth stocks and the ones that everybody owned in the top five in the index. Well, it's different right now. And so I do think right now it's much more dependent on the path of underlying earnings growth. Year to date, the 2021 S&P uh, consensus forecast for earnings for the full year right now is up about 9%. Still heading higher, it seems. The S&P itself up about 11.5%. And you've seen an outperformance among the more cyclical type groups, which have a smaller weighting in the overall index. So I do think there's some restraint on what valuation people are going to pay because we are wary of potentially yields going up. We are wary of eventually some kind of a, of a Fed taper mm -hmm. down the road or at least talk about it. So I think that's the push-pull that we're observing right now. Well, well, how much of the less liquidity, more taxes idea has really seeped its way into the market, and that's what we're witnessing more than anything else at this point. I think it definitely, uh, psychologically, it's acted as a little bit of a check in the last couple of weeks on risk appetites. Uh, we did see it actually in the retail investor sentiment numbers this week at a big drop in bulls, even though the market was flat. That's probably because, you know, people at home don't want, like to hear about potentially capital gains taxes going up. Uh, I also think it's, it's worth looking back to 2010. Everyone keeps comparing this experience to the huge run off the 2009 bottom. Very similar S&P performance in the first year. You did get some chop and some give back and pullbacks. And keep in mind, what we now call QE1 ended in June of that year. So along with what was happening in the stock market, we also had, that was the last time we had earnings beats to this level that we're seeing in this quarter right now. So a lot of it does match up with just the cyclical cadences coming off of a major low when you do perhaps start getting into peak growth rates for either the economy and profit. And lastly, before I let you go, I'm looking at the S&P right here. 4,200 is a level that you are keen on watching as well. I saw a tweet of yours yeah. earlier today. Well, yeah. So this is something that's a little bit, you know, it's sort of a serious uh, look back to those times when we have flirted with a round number, which in this case was exactly half of 4,200, 2,100 in early 2015. The market basically used it as a ceiling for six months. Uh, it didn't really have much of a pullback along the way. It just hugged that level. Uh, and, and, you know, and we obviously did a sort of give way that summer after you had the Chinese devaluation, and everything. Not so much a forecast, but a reminder that the market can just hang around for a while uh, once it does have one of these big moves and needs to consolidate it. Yeah, interesting, as always. Michael, thank you. All right, All right that's Michael Santoli. Let's talk about what's, uh, what you guys are doing in the market relative to the conversation that we just had uh, before and with Mike.
Steve Weiss, um, you bought more Goldman Sachs, which, which is interesting, too, based on the conversation about rates, the Fed and tech and growth and value all wrapped into sort of one conversation. Tell me about Goldman. So I, I had a decent sized position in Goldman. I bought it a little early. I should have waited for today instead of buying it yesterday. But they are particularly well positioned, as we saw in the last quarter, doing extremely well. And I believe in a rising rate environment. So it's somewhat a hedge against my other parts of the portfolio. But it's also an overt push, obviously, on the Goldman positioning, their global positioning, just doing extremely well, growing their asset management. They did restructure the company. So not, not to a large extent, but in terms of asset management, they did. I just think it's compelling here, extremely cheap. So right now, it's my largest, uh, although not by much. I still own B of A, but uh, my two big financial plays. Wow, it's, it's, it. it's now bigger than B of A because I know how much you love that stock and Brian Moynihan, who you wax poetically about uh, yep. any opportunity that you get. <laughs> the most unsung player out there. If you look at the mistakes that have been made by some of the big banks, I'd say in terms of magnitude of errors over the last few years, in terms of what's been swept under the rug, it's actually J.P. Morgan. If you go back to the to the well and you do look at some other finds, yeah. so none of them are perfect. Moynihan just doesn't believe in getting out there as much as Jamie Dimon, who's excellent. No criticism, Jamie Dimon, but Moynihan's lower profile. So be- I like before that. I take a break, I want to get to Brenda. Brenda, Affirm is a new stock that you bought, AFRM. Talk to me. Yeah, so this is a newly public company in the buy now, pay later space, which we think is going to be growing as, as a greater percentage of overall sales in e-commerce right now. Buy now, pay later is only about 2% of global e-commerce sales. Uh, so Affirm is in a, a little bit of a niche where Peloton is one of their largest customers. Uh, they have begun to um, uh, p- pilot a program with Shopify, which we think could really drive continued growth for the company. Um, it is competitive space, but as I mentioned, it's a relatively small percentage of overall e-commerce sales that are uh, tied to buy now, pay later. But we think this is a really a growing area as more consumers are really tired of traditional credit card companies and paying interest payments. And buy now, pay later just is a much more economical uh, solution for many people. Okay. We'll keep our eye on that one too. Pete, we're going to get to some of the new call buys that you have a little bit later. I promise we'll do that. Also, still ahead, we're going to put the committee on the hot seat today because... There are many stocks we need to discuss, like the ones right on the right-hand side of your screen right now. Twitter, Skyworks, Chevron, all pitched by committee members in recent weeks, many times, which is why they're going on the hot seat next. And NFL player Brandon Copeland joins us with his top financial tips for the new draft picks in the NFL. We're back at two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. The U.S. says that China is not doing enough to protect American intellectual property. A report from the U.S. Trade Representative says that China has improved some patent and copyright laws, but still needs to make fundamental changes. A single dose of Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine may not be enough to protect against newer variants. A study has found that people who received just one dose had weaker immune responses. Scientists say that the results highlight the need to get the second dose. In Israel, a funeral already taking place for one of the victims of the stampede at a religious festival that killed at least 44 people and hospitalized another 150. Prime Minister Netanyahu has called for Sunday to be a national day of mourning to honor the dead. And Colombia's Navy has captured a semi-submersible drug smuggling boat. They say that the three men on board were trying to sink the boat before it could be captured. And on board, about 2,000 pounds of cocaine. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Okay, Rahel, thank you. The investment committee, they're on the hot seat now. Steve Weiss, you are first, okay? Skyworks is what we're going to talk about. Top and bottom beat, sounds great. Stock, though, not so good. Let's show the intraday chart here. Uh, the outlook was not great. What do you, I mean, the stock's down 8%. You've repeatedly bought more of it. You've talked about it all the time. I'm sure mm-hmm. some people have followed you into it. So what's the advice now? Well, look, they did beat, the forecast beat, the advice is buy it here. Look, let me put it in perspective. The street's missing that this is more than just a phone story. Right now, if you've got a $14 billion mobile phone market that's going by estimates, lots of research surveys, going to $50 billion by 2030. But more than that, you've got 5G overall in the enterprise that's going to $13 trillion by 2035 and $8 trillion by 2030. The total addressable market is unbelievable. Now, each cycle, 4G didn't have that. But if you took a look at Skyworks and Corvo, which I also added to today, they outperformed over the first eight years of the 10-year cycle, which they are. They outperformed, guess what, Microsoft. They outperformed Apple. They outperformed the S&P meaningfully. Those stocks were up five to six times during that cycle. I'd expect to do just the same here. So this is a great opportunity. You've heard of diamond hands? Yeah. Well, these are, these are paper paws wow, you- because there's no thumb to hold on to it. Well, so you sound so angry. take advantage of those with the paper you paws sa- and you sound, buy it. You sound so I'm, angry. I'm wired, man, Scott. <laughs> I'm 5G wired. A, a, That's why a viewer, I'm so a, a viewer was concerned about you. They wrote in this question, for, uh, question from Jim on a tractor in his khakis on a farm says, Dear Steve Weiss, do you regret not taking your Skyworks gains and moving them into Qualcomm like I told you? There's still time. What's your answer to Jim? Well, first of all, take a look at my answer, Jim, is number one, take a look at Qualcomm today. It's down, number one. Number two, I'm not following Jim to Qualcomm any more than I'm following him by putting my high school textbooks as my background when I'm on halftime report. <laughs> All right, that was a good one on the fly. I like that. Um, okay, next up. Thank you. Next up, John Ajarian <laughs> is joining us on the phone because he has some explaining to do about Twitter. Um, okay, you know, they beat top and bottom. But 
that stock is down 13%. Doc, are you there? Yes, I am, Scott. All right. And, uh, yeah, my calls that I bought, I you know, we had several nice reads. We thought we kept rolling up. I became too much of a pig, and you know what they say about pigs getting slaughtered. So I stuck it out. Those 65 calls that I'd rolled up to, Scott, went out worthless, total loss. Um, however, uh, there was a big purchase just days ago of puts uh, at the 62.50 strike that expired next week. That one was a much better trade. Um, I have rolled down and exited those, and now I own the 5650 puts in Twitter. I don't know if Twitter gets back to that uh, uh, October um, level, Scott, where it broke uh, famously from uh, that level, which was approximately $52, and it traded all the way down to uh, over the next several days to, I think, a low of 30 or something like that. I mean, it was, uh, I'm sorry, 40 but it was just a terrible drop, Scott. And this is a similar terrible drop. You could put them side by side. So, um, yep, I overstayed my welcome. Um, that was not a good thing to do. Five of seven analysts cut their price targets this morning. Um, and, you know, the, the growth is just not the same in this one as the other socials. So, so would you, um, I'm thinking... L- let me ask you ahead. this, Doc. Forgive me for interrupting you, because your position is through options. If somebody owns this stock and has been playing the stock through listening to you in options, you tell them to sell, just get out now, that um, the, the, you know, the, the daily users were meh, growth is meh. Um, you know, I don't think the interview was all that great this morning on, on Squawk either. Andrew and Joe and Becky asked Ned Siegel you know, all the, the questions that you would want to know the answer to if you're an investor, and I just thought that the answers were like cookie-cutter press release-type answers to be quite honest with you. I don't know what the investor takeaway from any of that was. Well, I would say that one of the critical levels, Scott, is again, that October 29th level when it was 5240. I would set a stop at that level because if we break that, you're going to see mid 40s on this move. I think after an aggressive sell off like this, where you've come down from, you know, a recent high of uh, $78, down here now to 56, that there will be some nibbling, but very seldom are there one-day events. So I think you might get a chance to buy it a little bit cheaper to that person who is already in it, as you say, in the stock instead of the options. I'd say set a stop right around that $53 level, Scott. All right, Doc, good stuff. Good weekend. Thanks for calling in, talking about Twitter with us. Brenda, lastly, and let's do it quickly. Chevron, at least earlier today, was the worst performer in the Dow. It may still be. Um, what do you do with this one? It's your only position in energy. So, you know, it matters to you maybe more than some others. Yeah, it's our only individual stock position in energy. But I would say, you know, for a company that's so focused on free cash flow growth, the fact that they did have a, a cash flow disappointment this quarter is, is uh, you know, somewhat disappointing. Uh, but I think a lot of it was rather related. Um, and so I, as we look at going forward, still focused on the big picture here, where we're looking for 10% compound annual growth rate and free cash flow over the next several years. And to us, that's attractive. You know, Chevron has continued to be the most uh, disciplined company within the energy space in terms of uh, capital deployment. So we continue to hold the position here. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. The NFL draft underway, as you know, Brandon Copeland, NFL player and CNBC Financial Wellness Council member, joins us with his money advice for rookies. Plus, do not miss the CNBC Small Business Playbook. That's coming on May 4th. Join Robert Herjavec, 
Melissa Bradley, Gary Vaynerchuk, more of the most trusted voices in business to provide critical advice to help owners overcome extraordinary obstacles and stage a strong comeback. You can check out the full lineup and register now. CNBCEvents.com slash Small Business Playbook. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Round one of the NFL draft is in the books, which means dozens of young players are about to become multimillionaires for the first time. Our next guest intent on making sure they preserve and grow their newfound wealth. Brandon Copeland is a linebacker with the Atlanta Falcons, also a member of CNBC's Financial Wellness Council. Back with us live. It's good to see you again. Always a pleasure, Scott. How you doing? I'm doing well. Boy, you got yourselves a player, uh, Kyle Pitts. <laughs> oh, my yeah. goodness. I can't wait yeah, to see yeah. what he does. I know you want to see what he does with his money. What's the first piece <laughs> of advice you're going to give to Mr. Pitts? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, first and foremost, I'm going to tell him congratulations. Obviously, it's a dream come true. Um, and then after that, you know, obviously, I'm sure he has a great team around him. A good thing about coming from a school like Florida is you got a bunch of people who have done it before who you can get some advice from. But first thing I'm going to say is just save as much as possible. Save so that you can start to put some work into understanding money, understanding how it works, understanding uh, how to put it to work for you. Um, I think a lot of times we come into the league and especially right now, uh, the sexiest thing in the world is is to invest, 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 invest uh, as we should be doing. But ultimately, we want to make sure we understand it fully and put people around us who we can trust, because most of the people in your life right now who you be turning your money over to, you just met them two to three months ago. Right. So let's make sure we have a trusted team around us before we start just giving our money away and just saying, hey, good luck. Take care of me. I know, but it's a balance, though, right? I mean, you know, you're coming into this amount of money for the first time in, in your lifetime and you want to have a little fun with it. You want to probably do something for your family, as we've heard a lot of players last night in their interviews um, after they got selected, suggest that they, they wanted to do. Um, but of course, you do want to grow your wealth. It's about wealth and growing it over the long period of time. For sure. For sure. And I think that, you know, we we have to uh, again, like you said, it's a dream come true. These are the things that you have dreamed of doing since you were a, a child. And then now you finally um, have that that call from your team. And and on paper, you are an overnight millionaire, multimillionaire for, for some of the guys that, that were drafted last night. Right. Uh, but the, the goal is not to just be a millionaire for, you know, your stint in the NFL. Right. The goal is for you to to create a lifestyle that you can live for the rest of your life. And so we just have to make sure that we are making the purchases and taking care of people uh, in a way that provides longevity for us. You know, I, I mean, that's the most important thing, because, you know, I think that philanthropy side of us, we want to take care of everyone around us. But ultimately, it, you, you can end up. As we've seen before, you mm -hmm. can end up hurting yourself more uh, by doing that than doing things the right way for a longer period of time. I, I've looked I'm looking at your list right now of sort of the, the most important things of advice. And the one that jumps out to me is, is, you know, get comfortable with saying no. In other words, yeah. 
you're, you can't be the first national bank of Kyle Pitts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I, you, you just can't, you, you, you are not, unfortunately, you, you just can't be everyone's, uh, you know, funder. Like you say, you can't be the first national bank for everyone. And, and right now, you know, people will come to you with their dreams. They'll come to you with, with uh, their business ideas. Uh, but again, that's why I think it's so important to understand money Right. And, and and also, you know, one of the things that I highlight uh, in the, the piece that we, we recently did is we have invested for this opportunity. Right. A lot of us, a lot of people will just say, hey, you're an overnight millionaire. Oh, you just hit a lottery ticket. Well, no, I've been running more than everyone else since middle school, since high school. I've been putting in more work in the weight room. And while other people think investing is just putting their money into index funds. Well, I've been putting my my time and effort into my body since I was a kid. And so you've invested in today. You're getting that payoff for this weekend. You're getting that payoff. And so when you think of your money like instead of something that you just made overnight, more so something you've been working for for years, it's a lot harder to just give that away as well. You mentioned the new thing you did. It's Coping With Money, and it's a video you did for Kiplinger. Wish you well with that. Wish you a good season, too. Everybody's talking about the offense, but you're raising your hand out there and saying we can play defense, too, on, on, <laughs> on our squad. We'll be following you. Amen. I appreciate you. Thanks, Scott. All right. We'll talk to you soon. That's Brandon Copeland joining us today. Coming up, the investment committee making more moves in this market. I told you we'll get to Pete's picks. We'll do it. We'll do as unusual as well. We'll do it next. And Shannon probably thought she was going to get off the hot seat before she even had to get on it. But no, we made some extra time, Shannon. eBay. (laughs) eBay. A loser this week. What? Wonderful. Yeah, I thank you for that. So uh, we purchased the stock in February, actually. Um, so I guess we were a little early. Uh, so, you know, I think that the stock is clearly selling off here based on some concerns about um, comps over the next couple of quarters. We're, we're annualizing some really strong numbers for eBay. Uh, but, you know, we bought this stock looking at the longer term. If you think about their it, anticipating additional investments into their user experience. They're thinking about their payments platform. Um, and so you know, with the growth of collectibles, n- they're not all digital, right? There's, uh, there's some, <laughs> some real-world collectibles as well. So we, we like this story over the next several quarters, and we think that there could be a positive surprise, both top and bottom, um, as we move into the back half of the year. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that. All right, Pete, let's do some of your moves now. I teased them before. Uh, you have, I want to go through three of the new calls that you've bought. Navios Maritime. Let's do that one first. You know, uh, Scott, I I don't have that. That's not one of my disclosures. Oh, maybe I looked at the wrong thing. All right. It's okay. It's it's all right. My eyesight's bad. (laughs) Tell me about Annalie Capital. I don't know what happens sometimes. Yeah, that one hit. My bad. That's okay. That. Yeah, that's all right. That one hit today, Scott. I like seeing it. It, it, Very inexpensive, although it is trading towards 52-week highs, and I think there's plenty of room to the upside. Mortgage finance, this is the right place, right time. I think the stock goes higher. Yeah, looking at NAP. You don't have NAP? I do not. I have have Nicola, which I just got got rid of Nicola, which has been a a great one. Oh, the S was out. Okay, all right. I was taking a nap when it was really snap. (laughs) I'll be out before the end of the day because these expire at the end of the day. This was Snap options that were um, purchased just the other day, and they expire today. So um, I will be exiting extremely fast. All right. We handled that really smoothly, Pete. Monster Beverage. Love this name. Absolutely love it. I, I talked about adding Celsius not too long ago. 
to my portfolio in terms of stocks. I love that name as well, Energy Drinks. Monster's another one. I think Monster's got plenty of upside. Saw some buying in there, and so I jumped in. All right, good stuff. We'll, uh, we'll do your unusual activity when we come back from this break. All right, Pete, unusual. I'm not going to read any stock names or tickers. You just tell me what you have. All right, I'm going to give you Boston Scientific first, Scott. And that one's pretty interesting because somebody's rolling up. They're actually coming from April and they're still buying. They want to be in May. They're in the May 7 calls, the 43 calls. Bought about 3,500 of those going for about 85 cents. Stock was 43.50, give or take, at the time. Next, I got Las Vegas Sands, another one where they're rolling up and they're going out a little bit. So they're buying the June 4th expiring 63 calls. Those are going for about $1.70, Scott. Stock was trading right around 60 and a half. They bought 25000 of these calls. They spread it off selling upside calls as well, but that's somebody who says, hey, Las Vegas Sands is going higher sometime between now and June. All right, good stuff. Thank you, Pete. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, Pete. We're going to do final trades in a second, but I do have a Twitter question I wanted to give to you from Gabriel Rivera who says, hello, I have a question for Pete. What do you think about DraftKings uh, on next week's earnings? Love the show. We learn and have fun at the same time. Gabriel, that's what this thing is all about. I'm so glad that you, uh, that you think sure. that. Thank you so much for the question. Pete. Yep we, yep, we appreciate you, Gabriel. I will tell you real quick, Scott, I love this name. I've been in and out of this name. I just had calls just earlier in the week. I just sold out of those mm. for a loss, unfortunately. But going into earnings, I absolutely would go in with options. I think it's too high risk to go in there with stock right now. Okay, thank you. Give me a quick final. Oh, I'm going to give you Tesla. I just saw some huge call buying in there. I think she's going higher. All right. We got to be pretty quick. But Brenda, go ahead. Mondelez. So they have industry leading organic growth. Uh, they are subject to higher input costs, but they've hedged a lot of those and valuations reasonable. All right. Good stuff. Have a good weekend to you, Shan. Analog Devices, ADI, report in a couple of weeks, and they've got the Maxim acquisition closing this summer. Okay. Got less than 20 seconds left. I got to just tell Weiss that before he starts. Go ahead. <laughs> Here's a short book report, Cliff Notes. XPL Logistics report Monday, and you saw what happened to FedEx and UPS. Right. Oh, you finished well. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 